After Kate lost Rita, she walked and walked. Rita had run off into a wasteland filled with scrubby trees, tall grasses, abandoned houses. There were a million places for her to hide. Kate knew the odds that she would find her were slim, no matter how long she walked. They seemed even slimmer to Carl, since he'd seen a coyote out in the field a week after the escape. And when I saw that coyote, I thought, oh, well, maybe she is dead. And of course, if she was caught by a coyote, she's not only dead, but she's not going to be found because she would have been eaten. He didn't tell Kate. He just kept looking. Kate and Carl spent a lot of time in those fields. How did they account for that time? They weren't working. They weren't sleeping or cooking or even really taking care of anyone. They weren't exactly enjoying themselves either. They were just wandering around, calling for Rita. You can't really call that time productive. They're not making things. They're not taking care of things. It's extra. In a way, Kate and Carl and all the people helping them were spending time outside reality. At least outside economic reality, which is probably a good place to be. It was a place where searching for Rita was valuable, even if they'd probably end up empty-handed. Anyway, all of this is to say, Kate wasn't the only one who left work to help find Rita. I was at work, and I got a frantic phone call from Kate. And she said that she had taken the cats to the vet and that Rita had escaped in the parking lot and that Rita had disappeared into the, into the underbrush behind the strip mall. So I rode my bike to work at that time and I worked on the far other side of town. So uh, I recall getting, telling my boss about the situation and her saying, oh, well, you better go. She understood the gravity of the situation. She was a pet owner, dog owner. And, I, you know, I think pet owners have a, I don't know, a shared worldview, I suppose. I love animals more than most people. Like, meaning I love animals more than I love people, generally. And so, and especially cats. <laughs> I really love cats. As the effects of the calamity spiraled out, more and more people got caught up in it. Amanda Nicky was Kate's boss at the time. And so I went immediately. Amanda was the director of a local nonprofit. When I interviewed her, she still worked there, although she's since left. On the surface, the nonprofit's main service was providing food to people who were hungry. But there was a secret mission as well, because Amanda understood that if you really wanted to end hunger, you needed to end economic injustice. Equally important for you to understand now, though, is that last time I looked at the staff pictures, every staff member was photographed with their pet. I think that says something. Anyway, that day in the fall of 2016, they'd gotten a group text at the office. But maybe it was a phone call. I don't remember. But it was an urgent, like, can someone please help me? So Amanda went. Right then. And if you've listened to chapter one, you know what happened next. They searched and searched and didn't find her. But I want to get back to the fact that Amanda left work. She had an organization to run. Were you leaving work regularly? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think that, like, you know, I'm the boss. I can do what I want. But there's also, like, 
this idea of like, this was something important going on in Kate's life. And she was my employee, but she's also my friend. And like something that guides us in our organization is understanding our humanity and being real people and humans and like allowing that to happen and be in the space where we work. And like everyone has had their missing cat or equivalent in their lives. And that's allowed to like be real and take up space here. So hell yeah, we were leaving work to go look for the cat. (laughs) Yeah, it was very important work. As important as feeding people? I don't know. Maybe. If it means being able to go back day after day to a job that puts you face to face with how our society allows so many of its people to go hungry. Even in normal times, like we do hard work that's like difficult to sit with and we don't get paid a lot of money and there's not a lot of fancy perks unless you like radishes or whatever. I don't know, which I do, but. It has to be about more than radishes in the end, right? Even if that radish is the first crunchy vegetable you can pull from your garden in the spring, a fresh radish can be a thing of beauty. But so can knowing that people have your back. In the way that we cultivate community outwardly, we do that internally as an organization too. And so that means like feeling safe and supported enough to say, I can't make pies today for this workshop. I have to go find my cat. And knowing that that's okay. I don't know. (laughs) What is work, really? (laughs) Amanda's skeptical about work culture, but she really believes in taking care of people. And maybe that's what real work is. Which is why she ran this organization, and why she wanted to change how we talk about hunger, and why, at the same time, she was ready to pick up and head out when Kate got a phone call. Someone had seen Rita. And I I felt pretty certain that they had actually seen her because they had seen the picture of her. They said it really, they were very certain that it was her. She made more flyers. And handed them out to pretty much every single household in the Peppercrass development. (laughs) We put them on every door. And it's this small community made up of these really quaint duplexes. So Kate heads over to Peppercrass. The neighborhood is laid out in loops, and at the center of the biggest loop, there's a green space that slopes down behind the houses. There are pine trees, then drain pipes, and gravel and weeds at the bottom. That's where Kate went. That's where Kate hoped to find Rita, like she'd hoped at 5 a.m. at Kroger, like she'd hoped at the abandoned houses where Rita first disappeared, because... She was scared, and she was on her own, and she needed to be brought home. She got to Peppergrass as fast as she could. And I had cat food... I had a um, pillowcase with me thinking if I do catch her, I'm going to put her in this pillowcase. And so I start walking, looking for her. And I see her off in the distance. Like Like it's actually her. It's actually her. And I start calling her. Rita, Rita, it's me, it's me. Come here, Rita. Come on, Rita. Hi, kitty, kitty, kitty. Rita, Rita, it's me, it's me. And so she sees me and she starts meowing. And she doesn't run, she's just meowing. And so I approach slowly and I'm still like talking to her and singing and I'm crying a little bit. And I have this thing where 
I can't really roll my R's. It's just this thing I've never been able to do. And so I always try to practice rolling my R's with her name. Rita, Rita. And I thought she might recognize that. And I walked up to her and she did not run for me. I mean, she looked hesitant, but she must have recognized me because she didn't run. And then I just reached down and grabbed her and I held her by the scruff of her neck, you know, like you do with cats to kind of help control them. And then I was like, okay, I need to get her into this pillowcase. And like all these thoughts are racing through my head. Oh my God, I can't believe it's her. I can't believe I have her. This is incredible. And so I'm trying to like push her into this pillowcase while still sort of holding on to her. And she's a pretty big cat and she's pretty strong and she was fighting like crazy and she somehow busted out of my grip and ran. In to the drain pipe. Kate tells the story as if she was alone at that moment, but Amanda remembers being there. As much as she cared about helping her friend, she was also drawn in by the quest. I like a problem. Like, I like I like an expedition. And so it was like, I don't know, it felt like we're going to go find the ring or whatever. Like, it felt like exciting. Carl remembers being there, too, because he had to talk to his boss again. He said, oh, it sounds like Kate has seen the cat, so I've got to go. And she said, yep, you got to go. Memory is tricky. When you've heard a story told over and over, it's easy to start imagining you were there. But also, when you go through something intense, you might not remember all the details clearly. Were Amanda and Carl there when Rita was in Kate's arms, and then, a moment later, gone again? We'll leave that particular black box unopened. But they both remember what went through their heads. Why didn't Kate hold on tighter, (laughs) you know? Why don't you dig your claws into the scruff of her neck and get her under your shirt or whatever, you know. Were you mad? Uh, yeah, a little. Or or disappointed. Maybe is better. I tend not to feel anger toward people I'm close to, but, but I was definitely... I was definitely second-guessing what she failed to accomplish. Yeah, I I was definitely sad that, that it wasn't over at that point. Kate is so thoughtful and, like, confident... But in that moment, she was like, I did, I was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Like, and it was really hard to see her be so hard on herself when like, this is a cat who did not want to come home yet. She was not done. (laughs) Like she was having fun and, you know, had more stuff to do. As she made clear when, a few minutes later, she dashed out from the drain pipe, leaped over the food they had put out for her, didn't even pause to sniff it, and ran off between two houses into another part of the neighborhood. She was gone. Again. And if you're keeping track, you're right. That was the fourth time Rita left. Amanda left, too. She did have an organization to run. Kate and Carl stayed in the neighborhood for a while longer. But there was no more sign. That sighting, though, was a major change in the search. Now they knew, for sure, that Rita was alive and, for the moment, surviving. They didn't have to wonder anymore if she had died and their search was futile. Because for those first couple months, that was the hardest part. Carl said if they'd known Rita had been killed by a car in front of their house, they could have mourned the loss, been sad in the way that you're sad when you lose a pet, and then moved on. 
but with Rita missing, there was no closure. Before that first sighting, and there would be more, it really felt like Schrodinger's cat. That thought experiment where a cat is put into a black box. If a monitor detects a certain radioactive decay, a flask of poison is released and it kills the cat. Until the box is opened, you can't know what state the cat is in. For the observer, the cat is simultaneously dead and alive. It's precisely that epistemic state. There's no way to know. And so there's no point in mourning because I was hopeful that she was still alive. And there was no sense in giving up because I thought she was still alive. But there was also a a sort of futility to it. And that was an emotional drag for sure. And that is probably the best explanation as to why Kate and Carl found themselves digging up a dead cat that they were already pretty sure was not Rita. Here's what happened. Kate and Carl had been putting up posters, posting on listservs, listing Rita on social media. And because of all that posting and listing, someone reached out. They had found a dead cat that matched Rita's description, and they'd buried her in their backyard. And uh, they said that we could dig it up if we wanted to check. It was in a part of town it was hard to imagine Rita getting to. It was the opposite direction of where she'd run, and she would have had to cross a busy street and go through a bunch of neighborhoods to get there. But I felt like we had to know if it was her or not. And so Carl and I decided we were going to go, and we were going to dig up this dead cat's body, and that we needed to take our son Cosmo with us, because if she had died, we thought it would be good for him to actually see the body so that he could have closure or something. (laughs) So they head down there. It was on that road. You know the one. It's the one called That Road. So we went to the corner of Rogers and That Road. And it was like a younger woman, and she answered the door, and she was like, yeah, just right over there. And she kind of pointed to where she had buried the cat. And so we dug it up. It wasn't Rita. Yeah, it was really recognizable. You could tell by the fur that it was not our cat. So they put it back in the ground. We were relieved, but also kind of horrified that we had just exhumed this cat grave. (laughs) The relief and horror were mixed with another emotion, too. Whatever it was, it was the opposite of closure. But they'd seen her at the drain pipes. They knew that for at least a couple months, she'd been out there on her own, making it on the streets of suburban Bloomington. How was she doing it? If she didn't have a lot of experience hunting, she may have had some challenges getting enough food. Perhaps she was either finding strangers to help take care of her or finding sometimes cats who are lost or abandoned, find a feral colony where someone is providing food. And so they kind of just hitch along for that ride and and hope that they can get some scraps. Um, She could have turned to hunting. She may have had enough skills to get enough to get by. This is Dr. Michael Delgado. She's a cat behavior consultant and author and researcher. She's the one who, in our last chapter, dashed my hopes that Rita remembered Kate from back when Rita was a kitten. 
but I pushed through my disappointment to find out how cats learn to survive in the suburban wild. So hunting is a learned skill? Yes. So kittens do get exposure to hunting from their mother. She will bring them prey that is kind of wounded, um, less um, potent, I guess, and then allows the kittens to practice killing. So it is something that they have to practice. They don't necessarily need mom to learn how to hunt if they can practice. So it's not like if mom's not around, they're just out of luck. This is an innate behavior that that they need to do to survive. So it's there's probably multiple ways for them to achieve that goal of learning to be a competent hunter. One of them is that mom helps you along. But the other is just that you're naturally attracted to small objects that move and you have all these skills that you apply to them like biting and pouncing and batting and kicking. But they do need to practice and they need to learn about the movements of their prey and how to sneak up on them best and what kind of bites are going to be most efficient at killing. Exposure to prey and practice hunting is really what makes you a good hunter. Rita had been an indoor-outdoor cat the whole time she'd lived with Kate. Kate said before she ran off, she'd brought plenty of prey into the house for Kate to witness. After the encounter at Peppergrass, it seemed clear she'd figured that one out. Obviously, you know, it can't be too hard for them to become good at it because otherwise the species would die out and cats are very successful. So we know that they're good hunters, perhaps too good if you ask some ecologists. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, I mean, it is really what they evolved to do. That is like their one job is to kill small birds and rodents. They're, they're good at it. Odds are it's because cats are good at it that Kate was able to meet up with Rita at Peppergrass. That should have been the end of the story. But it wasn't. And it's not the end of ours either. There's one more piece in this chapter. Remember, Rita went missing in early fall 2016. She was still missing in November. And a lot has happened since then. So let's remember what things were like back in those pre-pandemic days. We were in the midst of a presidential election whose outcomes seemed foregone to many people. As I've said in earlier chapters, to many people, it seemed like the U.S. was about to elect its first female president. For the folks who were excited about that, there was some nail-biting, but there was mostly a whole lot of confidence. We might even call it hubris now, in hindsight. Over at work, Amanda was making plans. What we had decided was that the day after the election, we would have... And again, because I, th- I think we were all like, this is going to be a celebration. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so exciting. And so we were going to have like a waffle bar type thing. <laughs> like we're going to make waffles and we're going to have all these fancy toppings for waffles. And instead, Trump won. And we all came in and we made waffles and wept all morning. Shortly after, there was an SNL skit with, I think her name is Kate McKinnon, and she sang, as Hillary, sang Hallelujah. It was like really stabbing funny, but also like deeply mournful. And I've been thinking about that a lot, because that's like, we had no idea that like this would be like how we all collectively felt for years afterward. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
I don't know. Like when I think about it, it's like, I love waffles, but they're hard to eat now. And I love waffles, <laughs> but it's hard, you know, if I make waffles at home, the smell of the waffle maker, it's like crying in everyone's arms the day after the election in 2016. Rita was lost in September, and in November, there was the election, and Trump was elected. It was a shock. It was something that I couldn't understand how it had happened, and I was just filled with so much despair. And I think that the despair around the loss of my cat was really connected. Do you feel like your feelings about her missing like got stronger after that? Yeah. Yeah, I think I just it was like a deep sadness. And it wasn't like like what I would call clinical depression or anything, like I was doing my life, but underneath it was just this deep sense of despair. And it was connected to the to the election, and it was. I just felt like if only I could find my cat, something would be good, you know. <laughs> Things go wrong in life. You finally get your missing cat into your arms. You're ready to take her home, and she leaps into a drainpipe. I think the past few years have reminded us that stories of progress don't always turn out so well. Deadly diseases still circulate. There are heat domes in the south, wildfires in the north. That fall, Kate and Carl and Amanda had gotten their hopes up, and then the story went off in another direction. That's how Amanda felt, at least, after Rita jumped out of Kate's arms. That's not how that's supposed to end. <laughs> like, it just felt like, here's the happy ending, and then it just it didn't happen. We've made it to the end of the chapter, but I want to remind you all hope is not yet lost. At last sighting, Rita was still alive. Maybe not thriving, but alive. There would be more elections. And anyway, as a lot of people realized, trying to transform your society through the White House maybe wasn't the best plan in the first place. At this point in our story, there's more work to do. Whether you're in the office or out wandering through the fields, calling for someone who may not even be out there. Still, you keep going. And you keep putting word out about what you're looking for. Eventually... You hear back. We got a call from a guy who said he thought he had seen her in his horse barn behind his house. And it wasn't in Peppergrass, but it was not far from there. I could picture her traveling that distance. What happened at the horse barn? That's coming up in the third time Rita left, Chapter 4, Rita's Village. Listen right now in the same place you're listening to this one. This has been a production of Inner States from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. For Leaving Work, I'm Alex Chambers. Thanks for listening.